Hey, this is Carl. One of our sponsors today, Datadog, is a cloud monitoring platform bringing full visibility to dynamic infrastructure, applications, and now logging. Create beautiful dashboards, set powerful machine learning-based alerts, and collaborate with your team to resolve performance issues. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 200 technologies, including Azure, Docker, PagerDuty, and Slack. With fast installation setup, plus APIs and open source libraries for custom instrumentation, Datadog makes it easy for teams to monitor every layer of their stack in one place. But don't take our word for it. Start a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here again, once again, for another hour-ish. One more time. One more time. Into the breach. And it's May. Yeah, it is. How did that happen? Things are changing around here. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, we've got the Patreon thing up. That's right. You must have heard it at the top of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. And we've got got a few uh, patrons already in play. So, this Mm -hmm. is interesting. This Mm -hmm. is a big change for us. It is quite a big change. Yeah. We hope to um, be able to do this for a long, long time, you know, ads or no ads. So, that's, that's what we need your help with. Yep. Hey, man, roll that funky music. I've got a great little tool. Or something. I don't know what you'd call it, but I got a great thing for Better Know Framework. You got a something? I got a great something. All right. Okay, dude, let me know what it is. Fill me in. What you got? Well, first of all, thanks to Steve Strong for pointing this out. Jason Logic. Oh. JasonLogic.com. Basically, here's the deal. If you're looking for a way to share logic between front-end and back-end code, and even store it in a database, JSON logic. That's what it is. So it's not a language. It's a small, safe way to delegate one decision for storing rules. You could store a rule in a database to decide later. You could send it from back end to front end. And you can even build it dynamically from user actions or GUI input. No setters, no loops, no functions, no go-tos. One rule leads to one decision with no side effects and deterministic computation time. So it's terse, consistent, secure, and flexible. And uh, there's tools for using it in JavaScript, PHP, Python, and Ruby. Interesting. Isn't that cool? That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, nothing for .NET, though. But no, no. But, you know, really this is kind of at the core of what we do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Logic. It's everywhere. Weird. Can't get away from it. Okay. That's cool, man. As, as much as we try on this show. Yeah, well, lo- <laughs> yeah, logic is relative. Definitely relative. Yeah, so that's what I got. Who's talking to us today, Richard Campbell? Uh, seeing how we're going to go dive into Raven DB for the first time in a while, I grabbed a comment off of show 1302 from May of 2016, so, you know, mm-hmm. two years ago, with one Oren Eni. Maybe you heard of him. Never heard of him. Talking about non-relational data stores, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roland Tepp, this is a comment from two years ago. Uh, mentioned another non-relational story. He said, this discussion on immutable database design and the example of the account information on the paycheck. We were talking about this, how, you know, that stuff's always the same or never changes. You would only insert new rows, never update. Right. Reminded me of an interesting database product that is all designed around this concept of immutability. It's called Datomic. 
uh-huh. at datomic.com, and it is designed and developed by Rich Hickey, the same guy who's behind the recent revival of the Lisp family of programming languages, Closure was also created by Rich Hickey that runs on the JVM, in .NET, and on the browser. You should definitely check out his views on identity and state in programming. Very fascinating stuff. Might be another guest for us, and I'll include a link to Datomic. The but, guy uh, is immutability royalty. Yeah, no, he's the man. There's he's no two the ways about it. Uh, so, Roland, thanks for bringing this to our attention. Uh, very cool stuff. And love to hook you up with a music to code by. So send me an email and we'll sort you out with that. And if you'd like music to code by, write a comment on the website at donetrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We don't change them. We just delete them that's it immutably indifferent yeah we just really don't care i don't think that's true no that's not true we we do care we want to hear your tweets Absolutely. please send them around hey let's uh bring kamran on kamran ayub is a full stack engineer speaker and plural site author in minneapolis minnesota where he works on technologies ranging from javascript to c sharp to azure to docker He's a core contributor on the Excalibur JS open source game engine. Very cool. Creator of the video game tracking and organization app, Keep Track of My Games. A hobbyist game developer and maintains several open source projects. You can follow him on Twitter at Kamran Ayub. That's K-A-M-R-A-N-A-Y-U-B. Or keep up with him on Kamranicus.com. What a great name. Nice. Kamranicus. <laughs> Thanks. My friend came up with that sort of like uh, Nostradamus, but Camaronicus. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more like ancient Rome kind of thing, right? It's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Julius Caesar spoke unto Camaronicus. Go exactly. forth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My old boss at my last job called me that. So. <laughs> Minnesota, you guys have had wacky weather just like we have in New England. It's the. Uh, you just had another snowstorm, didn't you? Oh, yes, I did. And uh, we just recently got this house and my neighbor was kind enough to bring his snowblower over and help because oh, I don't have go. one yet. And why so. would you need one in April? It's like, <laughs> I know. Stupid. Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Everybody has a snowblower. It's Minneapolis. I, the NDC show yep. in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, is coming up like next week as well. We're publishing this May 1st. It's during build and where we're going to be at build yep. but yeah yeah i'm super excited um i'm actually going to be speaking about typescript and react um so if people want to come see me in person they can That's totally cool. do that very cool very cool yeah so let's talk raven db yes and that an day guy heard of him oh yeah he's he's pretty awesome i i worked with him uh when i developed the raven db pluralsight course and he was super helpful hmm. Um, so have mad respect for him and he's way smarter than I am. Uh, so way smarter <laughs> than just about everybody. Honestly. We also <laughs> have mad a lot respect of for Oren. Yeah. So, uh, I can't remember what the last thing we talked about in Raven DB land. It was gotta be version three, but, um, maybe before we start in with new features, we could just give everybody a, a little refresher on Raven. Sure. So the way that I describe Raven is a high performance, no SQL document database. Um, and in the recent version in 4.0, which we'll get into, uh, it's cross-platform and is built on .NET Core, 
Um, so you can run it on Windows, Linux, Mac, wherever you are, Raspberry wow. Pi even, which is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a uh, JSON based. Um, so you, you put your objects in JSON format, read them out. Um, and there's, there's a whole lot of other features too. Yeah. And there is a free community edition, but then they do sell, you know, paid supported versions. Yep. And that's actually brand new in 4.0. Uh, before when I started with Raven, they had a free version, but it was only for development. But now you can actually get the community version and it supports up to three cores and six wow. gigs of RAM, I want to say. Nice. That'll work for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect for open source projects or small projects. The takeaway from all of the things that we talked with Oren about RavenDB what for me was how performant it is and how they achieved this. Like you can do the kinds of queries that you're used to doing in a relational database in terms of, you know, finding things and finding records. And it's really fast because mm -hmm. the indexes sort of get built on the fly based on the context and based on what you're doing. And they're, they're happening on a background thread and writes are delayed sometimes in order to provide performance. And the combination of those two things, if I'm not mistaken, um, make it just really easy to use and powerful. Yeah, I think the indexes are one of the things that I like about it the most. Um, so you have the, the auto indexes, so you can write a query, and you don't need to necessarily worry about creating the index beforehand. And what Raven will do is it'll create this auto index. And the more that you use it in your application, it just becomes a static index and it just becomes optimized for you. Um, but then if you really want to tweak the settings, you can go in and you can modify the index directly to, to be what you want it to be. So I think that's pretty powerful. And when you say write a query, you're not talking SQL. Uh, no. So there's a couple ways you can do queries. Um, if you're a .NET developer, um, so... Uh, I think that's really the best experience. You get to use Link, um, cool. which is pretty awesome. But uh, in 4.0, they introduced the new Raven query language, which is very similar to Link. It's like a link in JavaScript. Um, so you can actually write um, some JavaScript in your queries. Um, uh, I haven't really tested the performance of that too much, but I'm sure you don't want to go too too crazy there. But Interesting, though. Uh, if you use the studio, you can actually use the Raven query language. And uh, I believe that they also support just the, the regular Lucene mm -hmm. syntax too, if you really want to get down deep. So, and it's definitely SQL like select from where order by group by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. They're not trying to comply with any standards, I guess. Well, it turns out those are good ideas. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and uh, it allows them to do a lot of optimizations. Um, you were mentioning uh, the performance of Raven, and I think that's one thing people are interested in. And I came from Raven 3.5 on my current production application, and uh, I was prepping for the show last night, and I ran some tests. I imported my whole database into Raven 4, and I was just doing some performance testing. And uh, Allende says on the blog that 4.0 is 10 times faster than previous versions. Wow. And I was definitely seeing that. So, for example, I have uh, 45,000 games in my uh, my game database. And uh, on Raven 3.5, to rebuild that whole index, um, so I have like an index where I can do searches and stuff. 
to rebuild all those 45,000 entries was 60 seconds it took on Raven 3.5. Mm, wow. Do you want to take a stab at how fast Raven 4 was to just rebuild the whole thing? <laughs> Thinking a little bit faster. A little bit faster. It was three seconds. Wow. And this is the same machine. So they were running side by side. And I did the test multiple times. And uh, it's just that's just crazy it's to crazy. me. So fast enough, you weren't convinced it worked. Yeah, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I didn't think it worked. <laughs> now, I've absolutely had that feeling with some technology where you do, and, you, and it comes back right away, and you're like, that that couldn't have worked. No, no. <laughs> yep. I mean, let's go check. Even just regular queries, I was doing some tests. And uh, so once Raven warms up with the query, it, it it's super fast. Like I was seeing one to two milliseconds. But what I was noticing in 3.5 was that initial warm-up um, could take between 200 to 700 milliseconds, especially if there was like IO in the background happening and the database was busy. But in Raven 4.0, I was consistently seeing one to two milliseconds for every single query, no matter if it was a warm up query or not. So they've definitely done a lot of optimizations there. That's pretty cool. So if you're going to compare this to other document databases out in data stores out, out there, I think MongoDB probably comes up in conversation a lot doesn't it <laughs> it does yeah uh the database that shall not be named right um well we have to we have to get it out there and you know and hear hear what uh the the cost benefit analysis is of each of these i know mongodb isn't free it's uh can be quite expensive actually but i have no idea what the performance comparisons are like no that's a good question and i think that's probably the number one thing on people's minds um so I mean, just to be upfront, I haven't used Mongo um, much in production. Mm -hmm. So I use it at work, um, but it's sort of managed by a different team. And so I don't get to play with it a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, but what I do know is that they also have the free community edition. And feature parity wise, they're very, very similar. Um, and in fact, yeah. the new uh, Mongo 4.0, which is being hyped. Uh, has multi-document transactions, um, which will bring it up to parity with Raven. Um, Raven's had multi-document transactions for a long time, I would mm -hmm. even say, maybe even since 1.0, although I'm not 100% sure about that. But wow. ever since they've had the session and the unit of work pattern, you've had multi-document transactions. I don't want to start like a turf war or anything, so I would definitely say like, you want to test out both maybe and see which one is a good fit. Right. Yeah, I don't know either. And I guess uh, it'd be worth looking for some perf tests online and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think if you if you come from .NET, which historically, you know, Raven's been geared towards .NET developers. Sure. Uh, you're going to have a really nice experience. Like one of the things I love about Raven is the developer experience is just so great. Yeah. And all the studio features in the studio UI is just phenomenal mongo has the mongo compass and uh, a lot of the features that you get in that are only available in the enterprise version whereas in raven you get all the features up front mm. and uh it's really powerful um cool. so I, do, I i love that what's the management studio about what are you really doing with the management studio everything i mean uh so uh i guess to compare to mongo again uh, the tutorials for Mongo will have you start out in the shell, right? So that's right. where you create your database and your collections. But in Raven, it's the opposite. You you start out inside the studio. That's mm -hmm. where you do all the all the actions. So you can create databases. Um, I did the 
the import of my 3.5 database was through the UI mm-hmm. and it uh, even reported progress and errors and stuff. And it was so great. And then you can create your indexes, you can edit indexes, you can query indexes. And then all the, they're super powerful debug visualizers too. Um, so if you're interested in like the performance of your indexes, you can visually see it, um, which is really cool. That's awesome. And, yeah. and and just interesting to think about stuff like server configuration and configuring replication and like yep. all of that responsibility stuff. It, you know, we're this is a show for developers by developers talking about a very Debbie tool. But I'm going to stick my IT hat on. You know, I've been busy. Oh advocating. no, not again! Here it comes. <laughs> and uh, you know, I've been a big advocate to the SQL Server database administrator types to say, look, you are Mm. stewards of data. Your job is to make sure that the data of the organization is safe. Don't worry about the tech. So right away, when I look at something like RavenDB, I'm like, that data stewardship mindset says, how do I back this up? How do I make it reliable? How do I control access to it? And I see this in the tooling around the management studio. Like that, that to me is really cool that we, we have a place to go. It's not all command line and you're not going to alienate your average data steward to uh, to actually understand how to care and feed for a Raven DB. Right. I'm actually I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because um, I've worked for a couple Fortune 500s now, and I've brought up the idea of Raven DB, and this was back in the 2.0 3.0 days, and uh, there was a lot of hesitation because the release cycle of Raven was such that all new features and bug fixes would go in with each new release. Right. Well, from a DBA's perspective, I don't want the possibility of introducing additional bugs with these new features when I'm, you know, potentially supporting hundreds of production applications. Sure. Um, But in 4.0, they've changed the release cycle now so that there are hotfix only releases. And so you'll only just get the hotfixes and then when you're ready and you've done your testing, you can upgrade to the new feature versions. Wow, so grown up. Like, I know, right. it's great. That's that's a real enterprise architecture kind of mindset to stability and reliability. And it's not even just for, you know, enterprise DBAs. Um, I'm not a DBA myself, but I host Raven myself on my own VM. And I just like the peace of mind that if I uh, want to upgrade to some hotfixes, I can do that without potentially bringing down my production site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's always a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very interesting to see the, the picking up on this idea of that kind of workflow. That's how uh, folks want to do things when, you, when mm-hmm. you need stuff to stay reliable. You know, we did a show, holy man, 2012 <laughs> uh, with MSNBC. And they were using RavenDB yep. to store their stories as documents inside of the database. Right. And, you know, it was all about that speed of transaction. Right. And then, mm-hmm. even, you know, some scenarios we saw documents store in the transactional flow with a relational store outside of the transactional flow. Yep. Like that kind of yep. mix of systems. Makes sense. You know, the it, relational databases still work really well for reporting, don't they? Mm-hmm. And in fact... um, if you have the professional version or above of Raven, you can do the ETL uh, ex- extracts to a SQL yeah. database. Um, and in fact, you can actually do an ETL to another Raven database. So huh. 
if you wanted to have like a, a high read, always available database, but then maybe replicate to a, a Raven instance that was a little less powered mm. and you wanted to do more like querying off of that, you could do that or um, replicate to a SQL database or your data warehouse where you could do more analytical queries. Gotcha. Hey, uh, hold that thought for just a second while we take time out for this very important message. Hey, guess what, Rockheads? Progress Telerik wants to send someone to build. So they're having a contest. Step one is to sign up and learn about the new innovative modern UI tools they'll be announcing at Build. By registering, you'll be entered to win a full conference pass to Microsoft Build plus a $500 travel stipend. They're also giving away three Telerik DevCraft UI licenses. And for .NET Rocks listeners, they'll also be giving away a Telerik DevCraft UI license every week. All you have to do is register at buildcontest.pwop.me. That's buildcontest.pwop.me. Progress offers the leading platform for developing and deploying mission-critical business applications. The creator of the award-winning Telerik.net and Kendo UI, JavaScript user interface components and controls, reporting solutions, and productivity tools, Progress offers all the tools developers need to build high-performant modern apps with outstanding UI. Go now to buildcontest.pwop.me and sign up to win. All right, and we're back. We're talking about uh, RavenDB 4.0 with Kamran Ayub, and uh, we're uh, we're getting into the nitty gritty of it now. The the new features. I I love the way that uh, you you started out by saying, "Yeah, it's all .NET Core. It runs everywhere, even on a Raspberry Pi." Mm -hmm. uh, how how big is it that it can fit on a Raspberry Pi? Not that a Raspberry Pi is limited in RAM. I mean, you, these things have ridiculous amounts of RAM now, don't they? Yeah, it's a uh I don't know the exact size. I guess I could go bring it up, but there's a um, a Docker container that you can get, um, and it, you would just uh, do it uh, and as like any as any Raspberry Pi instance would, mm. right? So mm -hmm. you get onto your Raspberry Pi, you install Docker, uh, you do your Docker pull of RavenDB, mm -hmm. and then you got it up and running. Nice. Yeah, that is easy. And how small a footprint are we talking here? Like we, I mean, we know we have lots of RAM, but still. Uh, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure. Um, I could spin it up locally right here, right now, and <laughs> I could tell you <laughs> what the what the size is. But it's, uh, I guess to give you an idea, um, for at least for 3.5, um, I have a fairly small VM that I run it on. It oh, only yeah. has four gigs, four gigs of RAM, and uh, I think it's a dual core CPU. And uh, I run my production instance on that alongside mm -hmm. the website, in fact, too. Mm. So I would say uh, 4.0 is even better. So it has a much smaller footprint than even 3.5 does. Yeah. Nice and it, indeed. And it, the code is all on GitHub, right? Like you, there's no magic yeah. here. You can see how it was made and, and add features if you want. Yep. RavenDB is it's open source. It's a GPL V3 license. Um, I've submitted some bug fixes, very like very minor bug fixes um, to the code base that's open to contributors. So uh, I think that's one of the great benefits too. The the community is pretty active on yeah. the Google groups and the team is super responsive, which is awesome. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, when I started out with Raven at the 2.5 mark, there was certainly growing pains. I mean, I, I found a lot of edge case bugs as I was developing my production application, but 
the cool thing is I reported those bugs and they got fixed like in <laughs> within days. Um, so it's pretty awesome. Very good. In, yeah, very interesting. And yeah, you know, I do my doing my usual assessment of uh, of an open source project. Lots of contributors, activity all the time. Uh, pull requests accepted as early as thirty minutes ago. So, yeah. What are some of the challenges people are going to have coming from a uh, relational to a document model? Yeah. So I uh, I go over this in my Pluralsight course because I I know that people. Um, are interested about this because I mean myself I came from Entity Framework, right. um, you know the the quintessential framework for working with SQL, um, and I just had to rethink the way that I designed my document model and my domain model. What I would say is if you are using Entity Framework right now, if you do an exercise where you look at your entities that you have and just count the number of properties that you had to add onto that object in order to get it to be supported by Entity Framework. Yeah. So thinking about like your IDs, uh, your IDs are probably GUIDs or they're integers, right? But in Raven, they can be strings and you can use them as a like a natural key, that's mm. called. Mm-hmm. So if you want to represent a user, let's say, uh, in your system right now, in a relational database, that translates to a row in a table, and the user probably has a GUID identifier or, you know, uh, integer ID. But really, the way that you represent a user is through their username. Mm. And so in Raven, you might model that with the ID being, uh, like, users slash their username. Yeah. Um, and that's how you would do that. And then you could do this nesting structure where you could store related documents to that user using an ID convention. So I could say users slash Comronicus slash stats. And that would be its own document. But Raven has utilities where you can say like load starting with. So I could say, hey, load all the documents starting with users slash Comronicus. And it'll do it in one operation. Hmm. Um, and so that's a, a great way to organize uh, like configs or you know, the rest of your domain model. So I yeah. think the biggest challenge was just thinking in terms of documents. I'm thinking of content, like a blog or something like that, where, and you see this all the time, the URL, the permalink is actually the name of the, you know, the title of the document, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That'd be yep. a nice natural use case for a key. Yeah, and you can actually go and see uh, Allende's blog is powered by, I think it's Raccoon blog he created, oh, and that's yeah. open source. So you can see like how he implemented it himself, which is kind of cool. That is cool. Uh, Let's talk about MapReduce and the features that uh, exist inside Raven for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said earlier, when you do a query, you're going against an index, but there are different types of indexes in Raven. Um, So you have your map indexes, um, which just do a simple map. They take, uh, they just do a simple transform for each of the documents. But then you also have a MapReduce index. And one of my favorite things about Raven is that these indexes are actually defined in code. So they're in your code base and they get deployed when your app boots up. Um, And even cooler is you can do this side-by-side deployment where let's say that you change an index definition. So maybe you change the way that something gets aggregated. Well, if you do a side-by-side index deployment, it will actually spin up a temporary index and it will silently and transparently replace the old index. So no queries um, are held up by that. Um, Mm. So it just does it, does it in the background for you and it's all defined in code. So it's in source control Wow. And uh, it's it's super dynamic, and I, that's one of my favorite features. 
no queries were harmed. <laughs> exactly. In the in the execution of MapReduce. <laughs> nice. Exactly. And, and and the indexes are defined in link. So it's the same syntax you would use to do queries. Um, you just define your link expression and then that becomes the index definition. Hmm. And because you're using link, you can actually do computed properties just by doing like C sharp concatenation. Hmm. You can load related documents. So I, I and I'm not sure if Mongo has this, but inside of an index, I can actually load another document um, as a reference. Um, and uh, there's a lot of other cool stuff you can do um, for aggregations and relationships and stuff like that. So even though Raven is a document database, it does have a lot of relational support um, to create relationships. Well, and looking at the Raven querying language, which is very SQL-ish, like, uh, can you, you, does this have joins in it? Like, it, it, like, where are we? What planet is this? <laughs> Documents with joins? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny. And I use this on my own application because in a traditional document uh, modeling scenario, what they will tell you, the experts, right, is to denormalize everything. Sure. Um, so uh, then you're, you're repeating data in different documents, uh, which is, it's performant, um, but can be a big headache um, if you're, don't want to write the the tools or the the scripts to uh, update related documents, right? But what Raven allows you to do is sort of meet in the middle, where inside of an index you can actually say load document by this reference ID, and then you can access it inside of the index. So it has some performance implications if you have a really large index and you're doing a lot of load document calls. Right. Um, that could slow things down, but really it's it's definitely not that bad and especially to avoid the headache of having to manually go and find and update all the references right. i'm thinking of things like uh like tags and things yeah. like that like you might have a tag document you rename it well then you got to go rename the reference all over your database right so yeah <laughs> so ugly. not joins the way you'd think of it in a relational database but right. still yeah. a ways exactly. to filter and, and relate to data across indexes hey richard yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to talk about how RavenDB only works on Windows. Nevermore. Uh, no, no, save me. Nevermore. Uh, ah! <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe references. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from our friends at DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Now, everyone knows that DevExpress has great desktop controls, but their web tools are simply amazing. They have this collection of HTML5 JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. And now at the heart of this product line are these really powerful controls like grid, chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. But DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls. Data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls, and general purpose controls like a filter builder, range slider, file uploader, scroll view, and more. Now, since they're all HTML5 JavaScript and CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. Plus, DevExtreme controls come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers, so they're infinitely flexible. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive at dx.netrocks.com. That's dx.netrocks.com. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? 
Today's winner, Richard, is Hannah Chapman. Ah, congratulations, Hannah. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Yep. And Hannah Chapman just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends over there at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to join the fan club, just go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Kamran, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, yeah. The, the best question ever. I was thinking about mm. this earlier. You know, a lot of people, when they answer this, I, I haven't heard people really say, like, spending money on their workspace. So, like I, I said at the beginning, I we got this house recently, and I want to level up my office, right? So, Because you could level up your snowblower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I got this 38-inch uh, ultra-wide monitor. Um, have you guys heard of these ultra-wide monitors? <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Uh, so, cause I had two dual screens before and they were 1080p each and, uh, yep. this guy is like a 4k, uh, but it's about the same size as, as two 24 inch monitors. And it's a 30, the 34, or the 38. It's the 38 inch. The 38. Yeah. Those are the big ones. And they're not quite the full height of a 4k. Right. They're, they're like, uh, 1850 or something. Yep. It's, it's perfect. So perhaps getting another one of those, maybe mounting it on top. One above cool. the other. Nice. Yeah. But there's there's just basic like uh PC stuff I want to do like um I have a kind of an old tower right now and I'd like to get a new tower. Have you heard of the uh the Thermaltake Tower 9000? <laughs> Great well, name. I know Thermaltake <laughs> makes ginormous big heavy cases. Yeah, so this case is actually really interesting. They collaborated with some sort of designers, like a French designer. It's this square cube box, but it's all transparent and it is meant to showcase like a liquid cooling setup. And uh, uh, I've never played with liquid cooling, but I would love to be able to do that. Uh, and yeah, just I don't care it. for liquid cooling. Seems like a silly <laughs> thing, really. Way back well, in the day, Richard, we did a show. I think you were on it, um, no. show sixty nine, where we talked about the the cyberpunk clear case with all the goo. Oh yeah, the green and the blue neon. Yep, and yeah, is that is that what we're approaching here, Comron? Oh uh, yeah, in I'm looking case, at pictures of the Tower Nine Hundred, and it's like exactly the green goo thing. Uh, that's it, the Tower Nine Hundred. Yeah. Um, in my case, it's it's red and black. So those are my two favorite colors. Nice. So, and then I have to make everything else match, right? Like I have to get a new keyboard that's red and black. I have Obviously. to get speakers that are red and black. So I think I, I would want to quickly... point out I I found you a uh, a used 2015 Kubota LMX 3174 snowblower five thousand bucks. <laughs> nice. Yeah, if you, you you can blow a whole house with this thing. It's this is massive. And if you really <laughs> want to put two thirty eight inch monitors, the four K on top of each other, you could use the five thousand dollars for cataract surgery. Perfect. <laughs> so you could actually see. Not that yeah. you have cataracts or just maybe some magnifying glasses. Yeah, the case know, is yeah. only two hundred and fifty bucks. So yeah, yeah, you still got money left over to build the machine, which is it's gonna take some building. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think my whole water cooling thing, I did a blog post eons ago where I said there's a puddle beneath my computer because you know, topping up water and stuff. I I just eventually stripped all the water cooling out because it wasn't needed anymore. 
CPUs didn't run so hot mm. and uh, uh, cooling systems got smarter and quieter. It was all about quiet cooling, right? That's what I cared about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, MapReduce and uh, you did mention something that MongoDB was doing that was similar, but do you, what was that again? So Mongo has uh, the idea of what's called an aggregation pipeline. Um, and this is separate from indexes, and um, I haven't played with it too much, but from what I can gather, you you define your indexes, but then you define these aggregations separately that can be based off of your indexes. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's two separate notions, two separate ways to design it. Um, and I think one of the big benefits of Raven is because it's using link, like that aggregation is just using the link syntax. So when you do right, right. the group by, um, the selecting, all that kind of stuff, it's just all in one definition. You don't have to have like separate definitions. Right. And you're probably already used to using it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And even in the the Node.js SDK that's in beta, um, they're just sort of translating a lot of the link methods over. Um, so you should still have familiar syntax there. What are some of the other um, roadblocks people might uh, conk into when first starting with uh, with any document database? I mean, you mentioned the the architecture and the structure of your entities and your your documents, but um, um, what else is there that that's going to be a kind of a mind warp? Um, I'd probably say you know, to be honest, it's sometimes easier. Um, and maybe that, that can be a mind warp in and of itself. <laughs> so when you, yeah. in a, in a relational database, you have to mentally translate your object to a set of rows, but in a document store, you are literally storing that object. Right. And so what that means is that you could have nested structures within your object and that's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. You don't have to do, you don't have to make three or four calls to save one entity. You can just make one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really that thinking and document kind of mindset that we have all of this stuff. So do you think a common pitfall for the relational developer might be overthinking it and, you know, trying to separate documents out and link them and join them and all that stuff, whereas you should just put a customer in a customer and, you know, don't spread it out over multiple tables? Yeah, I think that that was the biggest hurdle for me was just trying to understand how I should represent relationships and then um, also how to represent my indexes. Um, so some of the mistakes I made early on were too many indexes. So there is such thing as too many indexes uh, because they when they change, they have to rebuild and they rebuild in the background. So they're using yeah. up resources. Um, so what I found early on was that I could actually, what you should do is just plan out what are the types of queries that you're going to do. And then do those queries share properties that you could just combine into a single index? So, you know, before I was searching for games and there were multiple fields that I'm looking for when I do searches, well, I had separate indexes, but it turned out I could just combine them into a single index Mm -hmm. and do the full text searching on individual fields rather than going against separate indexes. Right. Chasing down that scenario you're describing, Carl, you've got the sort of thing of, I have a customer, a customer has orders, the orders have line items. Like, right. Do you really want that all in one document across many orders, or is there a point where it's unwieldy large? Yeah, I think you'd, you'd want to definitely keep a reference to that structure, mm-hmm. um, and it'll, it'll make it easy. For example, I think the, the quintessential example is, you know, when the price changes on an order line item, in a relational database, you would have had to store a reference to that. And right. if you 
do the cascade update, well then any historical records of that line item are going to be lost, right? Yeah, right. You, and you, and you learn pretty quickly to store the price that the customer paid in his order. Right. Rather yep. than to rely on the inventory record. Yep. And so in a relational database, you might solve that by keeping track of the line item history yep. um, and then doing a reference there. But on Raven, what you could do is you can use the versioning feature and you can just create a new version of a reference if you wanted to. So if you were going to keep the reference document, the order line item, what you could do is you just create a new version of it when you update the price. So you mm -hmm. keep a history of all the prices for the single document. Um, and in addition, you could then take that, uh, that order that a customer did with all of its information and just store it out into a different collection. And then you could, you know, replicate that to your data warehouse or whatever you need to do. I have a, I have a um, story about something dumb that I did with a SQL relational database early on and uh, quickly found out how indexes or lack thereof can bite you. I was storing all of the records, you know, from the log, from the web log for .NET Rocks when we were really, you know, on fire. Not that we aren't now, but, you know, back <laughs> in the early days when it was really, you know, everybody was really interested in this new thing called .NET. And so I would take all those and I'd, I had a little process, a little script that copied them into a database and I didn't put any indexes on that. And of course, you know, the first thing that you want is to index the date because you're looking for events that happened between this date and that date. And uh, by the, you know, I'd noticed that I was getting slower and slower and slower. And by the time I figured out, ah, I'll just put an index on this date. Oh no, now there's like a million records in there. And uh, it's just timing out. Like you cannot index a date if there's so much data in there. And so I actually had to create another database with uh, the date field indexed and move all of the stuff over there. And it's just, it took up, you know, a whole day. So those are the kinds of things that I would love to not have experienced, you know, just letting the tool take care of it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I got to yeah. imagine that, I mean, look at Kim and Paul, right, Richard? I mean, mm -hmm. they do entire talks and they have done in the past on indexing. And, and all of the technical decisions that go into how to index a SQL server, right? Yeah, it's like hours of conversation about structuring indexes alone. Yeah. Which, you know, deep down, and I'm looking at it here too and realizing, every time you say index, what you basically mean is copy of a portion of the data. Yeah. Well, and actually, uh, Raven has the notion of um, storing fields in an index. Mm -hmm. So, um Let's say that you need to create an index off your data, um, but you're just doing like a filter. So you're saying like where something equals whatever. Raven doesn't actually store um, new copies of those documents or anything. Um, what it does is it just sort of has this, this layer behind the scenes that's very thin um, and does this aggregation for you, but it's not actually storing any anything extra. So there's not extra storage being used. Um, so that if you if you have like a computed field, um, you have the option then to store that computed field in the index, and that's when it gets persisted. Um, and then you can take that computed value out um, when you're doing a query. But otherwise, Raven by default doesn't store anything extra in your indexes, so you don't run into a lot of storage issues unless you're you're uh, on purpose storing a lot of fields in the index. Right. And yeah, it doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. You don't need to use it. Uh, should we talk a little bit about uh, the Keep Track of Your Games app from the perspective of you use Raven under the hood for this? 
I do. Um, and what's funny is that, uh, you know, Raven, if you go to the website, they'll, they'll talk about the polyglot uh, paradigm, right? Where yeah. you're using multiple kinds of databases. Well, in my own experience, that's been true. Um, for keep track of my games, I actually use Raven. Uh, but then to track game history, um, I actually use Azure Table Storage. Hmm, nice. Um, so uh, keep track of my games. The, when I built it, the the purpose was to was to, was to keep track of games that are coming out. Um, so uh, new releases that you know there were so many that I couldn't keep track of myself in my head. So sure. I created this app to do it. And what I needed was a way to notify me when a game's uh, like release date has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's possible that I could have used Raven to do this, but I was penny pinching and I couldn't afford a professional license. Um, so what I had to do was just use the free version of, of Raven, the, the hosted version. So I was just paying the, the subscription fee. Right. And so I, I needed a way to store all this history for all my games in a cheap way. And Azure Table Storage was a great way to do that. It's just flat, and then I can just do um, basic uh, partitions on the data, and I could store it cheaply. And there could be millions of rows in there, and that's how I would. Uh, that's how I was able to keep track of the history of release date changes, so I can be notified uh, when that changed. Nice. So Azure Table Storage is not a document database per se, right? It's still relational, no. isn't that right? Yeah, and it's even it's probably even less than relational. It's really just flat tables and columns, um, and then the they have the ability to partition it. So uh, I just right. use it for flat flat storage. Yeah, and it's it's pennies to you know store data in there. Right. So. Yeah, and it's but yeah. Otherwise, um, yeah, I'm using Raven to power the site. Um, and uh, I was really motivated by performance. So that's. That's well. That's one reason why I chose Raven in the first place. I was coming from .NET. Um, I was having some issues with uh, SQL Server hosting in Azure, and uh, using Entity Framework. And from a developer perspective, it was, it was, it was a, it was a bit rough. Um, I think back then I was on Entity Framework four, and I was just, I was, uh, I needed better performance uh, for low cost, mm. and Raven, Raven was a really good fit for that. There's a lot of uh, pressure these days on the whole ACID capabilities. I mean, obviously, both Mongo and Raven front and center on the homepage is like fully transactional ACID compliant data stores. Like that's sort of the the emphasis. Do you bother to validate this in any way? Like, how do you prove that? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's interesting because there are different flavors of acid. Mm-hmm. Um, once you once you d- dive uh, dive down deep into the manuals, you figure out like, well, for the longest time, Mongo didn't have multi document transactions. Right. So, um, like if you were trying to do that, then uh, it wasn't really a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Raven, it says you know acid compliant. But the the fine text there is that it's ACID compliant for document operations, not uh, for queries, right? right? So because queries are powered by indexes, indexes are eventually consistent. So that is that's base. That's not ACID. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's super helpful um, as a developer to to know that for Raven, when I'm working with documents directly, I have that guarantee that I'm not going to be losing data if the database fails. The identifiers in Raven, the document keys, 
is what's used to actually determine ACID compliance. Mm-hmm. So if you have two versions of the same document and the same transaction, it'll blow up and say, you know, you're trying to associate a different document. Or right. if you're trying to update a version of a document and someone else comes in and tries to do the same thing, you can use the 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 change tracking to actually have Raven check for you to make sure that you're not accidentally overriding someone else's change. Right. And well, you know, that's where you get into all this complexity is around this idea of when I fetch data, you can't change any data while I'm fetching it, but it has right. to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Right. Although people often, you know, there's so much, you talk about Kim and Paul, so much in SQL Server about, I want to turn that feature off or I want it to operate in a different way. There's lots of different rules of transactional integrity around those kinds right, of things. Right, right, right. And it's only when we're doing transactions at velocity that this matters. Yeah, and Raven tries to be really helpful to you too by default. Um, you know, a common case that I run into that you don't think about too much with document databases is like if you need to do background jobs that mm-hmm. um, process a whole collection of documents, Raven has some APIs that allow you to do uh, streaming. So you can actually stream a collection of documents and you might wonder, well, what if there are new changes to those documents as you're in the middle of a stream? Um, and what Raven tries to do is take a snapshot of the the collection at the start of your stream so that you don't run into issues where a document could have changed mm-hmm. um, as you're streaming it. Right. And it's then, and there, therein lies the challenge, right? And these testing this stuff and validating this stuff and showing these problems is incredibly challenging where you literally have to cause a transaction to occur during a query when every test model of these things, they're all fractions of a second. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have enough time to really model that well. It's it's not a simple thing to validate, it, it, nor is acid integrity. It's like transaction completed. Okay, pull the plug on the machine. <laughs> now power back up. Are we good? Like, you know, they, these are hard things to validate well. Yeah, and uh, I haven't done, you know, that that deep testing of ACID compliance, but in my course, I walk through a simple scenario of the the two versions of the same document get updated mm-hmm. and how do you handle that? And it turns out to be fairly straightforward in Raven, which is really nice. Nice. Are there any features besides the um, uh, cross-platform .NET Core uh, features we talked about and, and the other things we talked about in 4 that, we're, that we haven't discussed yet? that are worth talking about? Well, we have some enterprise features um, like uh, database encryption Oh, nice! Uh, that you get. So you get full database encryption. Um, there's also much simpler clustering. Um, and even in the community license, you can have up to three nodes. Hmm. And it's, it's almost zero configuration. Like basically... You point your client to the multiple nodes, and you know they're hosted on a URL. Right. You host uh, multiple nodes, and uh, one is marked as the the master, and it can control all the other nodes. And they just sort of uh, have this quorum, you know, um, that they they figure out who each other are, and uh, um, and all the the acid compliance and stuff all happens in the cluster too across nodes. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. As far as the encryption, how does that happen? Do you get to choose what um, you know what methods you you, you know you want? Yes, and uh, I have not used the enterprise version of Raven, so I haven't really been able to test out the encryption. But 
um, when you create a new database, that's when you get to choose. Um, and it's FIPS compliant, um, so it should suit the needs of a lot of enterprise users. Okay. I don't know what that is, but maybe, I guess you would know if you need it. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's just the, the government specification, like for um, credit card data and that kind of thing, like okay. the high-level encryption. Yeah. FIPS is Federal Information Processing Standard, so it would depend on which FIPS standard we're talking about. It's like an ISO or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Instead of a standard metric for, yeah, this is good or good enough. Comrade, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we hang up? Uh, well, um, like I said, if people are interested in learning more about Raven, um, they can check out my Pluralsight course. I'm sure you guys will have it in the show notes. Yep. Um, it's, it's really just uh, getting started with Raven. Um, so... I've been super excited to like move to Raven 4.0, and I'm I'm hoping that other folks, uh, if they've used it in the past, you know, check out the new version just because of all the all the changes. And uh, yeah, I'm just hoping that more people uh, are able to take advantage of it with the new community license. Absolutely cool. Thanks very much, Comrade. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been an honor. Thank you, guys. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.